In two main senses, the Ming centuries were a typical dynastic period. In the first place, this period shows most of the features associated with the dynastic cycle. The initial rehabilitation of agriculture and reduction of taxation pressure on the peasantry. The establishment of unified and effective administration by the bureaucracy and the restoration of imperial revenues. The efforts to contain the attacks of nomads from the northern steppes. Then, the growing concentration of land and resources into the hands of landlord officials at the expense of the peasantry. The vain efforts of later governments, grown corrupt and defeat, to control mounting peasant discontent. Finally, the destruction of the dynasty in nationwide peasant revolts, accompanied by barbarian invasion. In a completely different sense, the Ming period was traditional by virtue of the striving to re-establish customary modes and standards in the political and social life of the Middle Kingdom. The Ming was the one period after the Tang when imperial China was united under native rule. When Chu Yuancheng seized power and became the first Ming emperor, known as Hung Wu, 1368-98, restoration of agriculture was a more than urgent issue. North China, in particular, had been laid waste by the Mongols and for several decades had suffered from recurring famine, followed by floods when the Yellow River burst its banks. To encourage the reclamation of land, peasants were granted as their own property the land they restored to production. They were, moreover, granted tax exemption on such land for the first three years. New land registers were compiled and the tax levies were somewhat reduced. The Ming collected taxes twice annually, in silver as well as in kind, or grain and silk. One decree insisted that a certain proportion of all plots of land was to be planted with cash crops, such as mulberry trees for silk, cotton, and hemp. This provided raw materials for the textile crafts as well as an income for the peasants. Corvée labor was adjusted to the number of adult males in the household. Agricultural production responded to these measures, which were coupled with the the Manchus occupied northern China unopposed at the treacherous invitation of a Ming general. Serious resistance to them continued in southern China for another four decades, and in these regions anti-Manchu sentiment remained strong. Among the more distasteful reminders to the Chinese in general that they had come under alien barbarian rule were the measures compelling men to adopt the Manchu style of headdress. Instead of long hair gathered in a topknot, the traditional Chinese mode, men were compelled to shave the front of their heads and wear a pigtail at the back, in Manchu style. And this was long regarded as a symbol of servitude, which could be avoided only by becoming a Buddhist monk with a completely shaven head, or a doused priest wearing a topknot. To prevent internal resistance being reinforced by external stimulus, the Manchus, as the Nuchin were now called, turned their attention to the frontier regions. Through political intrigue and conquest, Turkestan, Mongolia and Tibet were incorporated into the empire. Burma, Korea and Anam became tributary states. After about a century of Qing rule, the Celestial Empire extended once more from the Pacific to the Pamirs, and from Siberia in the north to the offshore islands in the south. 
In the outlying provinces, especially Xinjiang, or Turkestan, and Manchuria, land was brought under cultivation and settled. The Manchus, during their earlier formation of their own state, had organized their whole people into groups of companies, or banners, of which they were originally four, yellow, white, blue, and red. The banners were both military and administrative groupings, through which all the Manchu tribesmen, slaves, and serfs were registered, taxed, and conscripted. Appointed officers took the place of hereditary chiefs, but Norhachi's descendants remained the clan imperial. When military forces were required, each banner provided an appropriate quota. The Manchu banners were distributed throughout China. They had no occupation other than the service and protection of the Manchu state, and were prohibited from undertaking commerce or industry. They were maintained by tribute rice and other levies brought mainly from the south.